Thank you, Stuart. Again, good morning to everybody. Great to see everybody today. It really is. We're so thankful to be together. Thankful to have visitors with us. That's a blessing we don't ever want to take for granted, one we enjoy regularly. And if you are visiting with us, you are our honored guest. If you see anything that, or hear anything that you have questions about, please ask us so that we can look to God's word for an answer. And as we keep saying here at Sunny Slope, we just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Appreciate your being here. But it's always great to be with our regular members. And let's be sure we do remember all of those on the prayer list and those who have been mentioned in our prayers on an ongoing basis. As I said last week, I want us to get into a series of studies, and this will be extensive and detailed, rather deep, studying about faith, because faith is so crucial to us as human beings, but also as Christians. I've said many times for a great many years, I don't know how people who do not have God in their lives, I don't know how they make it through life. I really don't. It's, it's puzzling to me. And I think a lot of times we see the, the ultimate results of their being puzzled themselves. And they're struggling through life because they don't have that anchor that God has provided for every one of us if we will come to him and develop our faith. Faith is so crucial. But now, as we talked about last time, about faith that is too little, as Jesus said four different times, you of little faith, and we talked about the different settings in which he uttered those state, that statement. And I hope you'll read the article today because I've written that about that particular uh, thought and I've, I've titled it, well, when is faith too little? Well, today I want us to talk about the difference between just believing and real faith, saving faith, New Testament faith. Many people have difficulty understanding the difference between belief and faith. They just consider the two absolutely the same. Now, while they're somewhat synonymous, they're not always equal. Belief is intellectual agreement or acceptance that something is true. Now, understand what I just said. It is intellectual agreement or acceptance that something is true. Belief can be based upon objective reasoning and facts. But belief can also be the product of purely subjective feeling rather than facts. I hope you see the difference between the two. Objective reasoning looks at the facts of the matter, analyzes them based upon those facts, and then comes to an ultimate conclusion of belief. Many people, though, when it comes to what they consider to be faith, they're simply talking about subjective feelings, and they're calling that faith. I feel this, or I feel that. Now, when we look at what real faith is, and that's what develops within us, the feelings are going to be there automatically. But if the feelings are devoid of the facts of the matter, then that's not what real faith is. That's not the faith taught in the scriptures. 
New, true New Testament faith is not just belief, it's not just feeling without facts behind it, but it is based definitely uh, upon objective reasoning and facts. The Bible itself tells us how faith develops within an individual. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or boiled down, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So as we get into God's word, we study it, we learn it, we come to understand it, believe it, and begin to make the proper applications to our lives. We're developing faith based upon fact and objective reasoning not just a feeling. It's not just something that we say, well, I believe such and such. Well, why do you believe that? Because I just feel it's right. The Bible gives us the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're not talking about primarily feeling there. We're talking about substance and evidence being the basis, the facts behind, the objective reasoning upon which our faith develops. And that's important for us. And true faith is belief put into action through obedience and dedication and commitment on a consistent basis. It, it leads us to a change in the direction of our lives, the way we're living, through the conformity or obedience to God's word, to his teachings. Now let me give you just a rather trivial example or illustration. You've got a problem physically, health-wise. You go to the doctor, he examines you, talks to you, listens to you, and he ultimately gives you a diagnosis and he says, now you have to make a change in the way you're living if you want to get well. If you want this disorder, this problem that you're dealing with and that has been developing over a period of many years, you have to change your life. If you want to get well, you cannot simply believe what the doctor says. You have to believe it to the point of implementing his instructions. That change will ultimately bring about the condition improving and you're getting well. But it can't just be believing. You've got to put it into practice. Belief put into action through obedience. I said in our last part of this study, and again, this is going to go on for a while because faith is so pivotal. It's so deep as, as far as meaning to our Christian lives, our spiritual being, and ultimately our eternity. Faith is not just a feeling, it's not just a wish, it's not just a desire, but it is based upon the substance and evidence that God has presented to us through the creation and also through his word, which has been checked and verified repeatedly through time. Faith put into action through obedience and dedication and service, faith is the power of our faithfulness, or maybe I should say faithfulness is the power of our faith. It becomes active. Now many scriptures speak of belief, believing in Jesus, believing in God, believing in Jesus to be our Savior and Lord and God's Son. 
And many of the scriptures that speak of such belief have been sorely misinterpreted and misapplied to say that all that faith is, is just believing. And that's it. Nothing else. You believe you've got the faith taught in the scriptures. But that is error. That is not correct. That is not what the New Testament scriptures teach faith to be. Scriptures that speak of belief or faith in connection with salvation do not teach that a person is saved just by believing. Let me give you some quick examples, and these will not be exhaustive or all that we could look at along this line. But people will take such verses as John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John chapter 3 and verse 36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. We look a little further. John chapter 5 and verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Well, we go a little farther in John's gospel account, chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, speaking to Martha after her brother Lazarus had died. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Well, later on, we see the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas, they were in jail. An earthquake took place. All the doors to the prison were opened. All the bonds upon the individual prisoners were released. The jailer, wakening from a sleep, came in, saw what was going on, assumed that there had been a great escape, and he began to take his sword to kill himself. Because under Roman law, he would have had to have paid the penalty for each prisoner who had escaped during his watch. Paul stopped him, and he said, do yourself no harm. We are all here. And so... He brought them out, that is, the jailer brought Paul and Silas out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. All of these passages emphasizing believing on Jesus or having faith in him. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God 
and everyone who loves him who begot loves, uh, and, and also loves him who is begotten of him. All of these verses, and we could look at others, that say that we need to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. But people, many, many who call themselves Christians have taken such passages and they've said, see, that's all you have to do. You only need to believe in Jesus and you're okay. You're saved. Just, and they'll say, let him into your heart, even though we don't find that particular statement in New Testament scripture anywhere. Just believe in him and you're good. Now they'll usually couple that with prayer. If all you have to do is believe, why do you need to pray also? It's like the story I heard a few years ago about the little boy who came in. He's about 10 years old or so. He came to church services one day. The preacher was talking about all you need to do is believe. Just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Little boy came forward. He went through that particular procedure, probably have a prayer prayed over him. As they were leaving after services that day, the preacher told the little boy, I'll see you Sunday. The little boy said, no, you won't. I'll be riding my bike. You've already told me all I have to do to, is believe, and I'm okay. I'm saved. I won't be here Sunday. You see, that's the error. And I'm sure the preacher in that case caught himself and, and thought, well, wait, you don't understand. You see, it's more than just believing intellectually. That's not what real faith is. Now, if all of these verses teach that a person only has to believe in order to be saved, and there are a great many people who say that is exactly what these verses say. Just believe. Well, then what do you do with all of the verses, the other verses, that teach something in addition to belief? being necessary for salvation. In other words, the fullness of what faith, saving faith, true faith really is. Let's go back to one of the texts we read a moment ago. John chapter five, in verses 24 and 25 this time. Now notice this particular text. What does Jesus say there? He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the, vo hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, is he contradicting himself from, from verse 24 to verse 25? When he says in verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. But in verse 25, he says, we'll hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. Do you not have to believe in verse 25? Only hear? While in verse 24, you need to hear and believe in order to be saved? You might say, well, you're, you're making a trivial distinction there. I'm, I'm simply following the wording. I understand literature. I understand grammar. That's really a big thing for me. Words have meaning. So there we must hear. What is it we have to hear? We have to hear about Jesus. Where do we hear about Jesus? In the word, God's word. Well, let's go a little bit further. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Now, in verse 
16 of chapter 1, as we read earlier, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for whoever, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But then, nine chapters later, in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there Paul adds not just believing in Jesus, but also confessing our faith openly, verbally in him. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus told the apostles that the day he was ready to ascend back to heaven, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, or to all creation, to all of mankind. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Now you ought to see all of the mental gymnastics that people try to employ to make that verse not say what it says. But there, it's not just believing. Now that's central. That's the beginning point. But Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Doesn't even say anything about believing, does it? Now, in some of these verses, those who say, well, belief is inherently understood within the text. That is correct. Now, you have opened a door to a principle of interpretation called synecdoche or implied understanding and once you open that door in a text to that particular principle, well, that they, won't, they, they would not confess Jesus if they didn't believe in him. You're absolutely right. But now you have to apply that same principle of interpretation in every other text of Scripture wherein that is the proper way to interpret that Scripture. Now, we're looking at all kinds of different statements as to what we need to do in response to the development of faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, learning about him and understanding and believing through the scriptures, how do we respond in, to that, that development of faith? What do we do? How do we exhibit that faith? Well, Paul said in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, we've got to confess him as well as believe in him. And notice also that both of those statements, whoever confesses with the mouth, confession is made. With the heart, belief is made unto salvation in both of those cases. You get in a car, you can drive from one point to another to a particular destination. You're going unto that place, wherever you're going. You're not into that place until you cross the threshold of wherever it is you're traveling to. You get out of your car, you walk, and then you go into that place or until you cross the threshold. I'm there now. With the heart, one believes unto salvation. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. 
Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and 16, he who believes and is baptized is in salvation. He's saved. We go a little bit further. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Again, Matthew's recording of Jesus' great commission instruction to go everywhere, teach the gospel to everybody. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15, and 16. Matthew's account says in verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples. What is a disciple? A follower of Jesus. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus put baptizing them as central to making disciples of them. Without our being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're not a true disciple of Jesus. And notice that Jesus did not say there anything about believing in him. It's inherently understood. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because why would a person be baptized into Christ without believing in Christ? But when you read these other passages of scriptures, such as John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, the same principle of interpretation applies inherently understood within that particular verse of scripture that it is that believing in him will lead the person to obey him as to how to come into him. And Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is when they become disciples of him. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Jesus sent a man named Ananias, a Christian man, to teach Saul of Tarsus, who had been an enemy of the church to that point. And Ananias came to him with the gospel message of salvation. And he said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. Doesn't say anything about believing in Jesus. But it does say that your sins will be forgiven as you are baptized into Jesus. Again, why would anybody be baptized for the remission of their sins, calling in the name of the Lord if they did not believe in Jesus? But why would somebody also say, I have such saving faith, if that faith were not active in obedience to the teachings of Jesus to become saved? In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, Peter is blunt in his statement. The King James Version says, the like figure whereunto even baptism, and I've heard people try to explain that away and say, well, that, that's Holy Spirit baptism perhaps. Go back a verse or two, he's talking about Noah and his family being saved through water, and then immediately he transitions into this statement, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the washing away of the filth of the flesh. Of course, we're not taking a physical bath. But the answer of a good conscience to God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we are buried in the waters of baptism, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross cleanses us of all sins and we're saved. We, come, we enter into a state of salvation. Belief is not even mentioned in Peter's response 
to those Jews who asked him on Pentecost, him and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? He said, now he did not say nothing. If you believe, that's enough. He did not even mention believing. But of course, believing in Jesus was inherently understood in his response. He had just taught them, taught them about Jesus as the Savior. And so what shall we do? Repent, he said, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of these different passages of Scripture, you look at all of those we've read, and we could have read others, that simply highlight believing in Jesus. And then we've looked at others that either add something to believing in Jesus or do not even specifically mention believing Jesus at all, but all of these passages of Scripture are teaching what is necessary to come to salvation through Christ. And that's where salvation is found. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, there is no dilemma, there is no contradiction between these various passages of Scripture. The key is to understand what is inherent within the concept of true New Testament faith. James went into incredible detail teaching us about the fullness of faith. In James chapter 2, verse 17, he said, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Just believing, he said, that's not going to get it. In fact, in this particular text, he said, the demons believe and tremble. And as I said many times, I doubt there's any being anywhere that is any more convinced that Jesus is the Savior and that God is the creator than the demons in hell. They believe. They believed such that they tremble. But they're still the demons. They're still in hell. They're not saved. It goes on in chapter, in, in chapter 2, in verse 20, he says, But do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead also. Now, you don't like the word works there? Okay. He's simply talking about the action that necessarily goes with true faith. Substitute the word obedience. Faith without works, faith that is not active, that is inactive, is dead, he says. And he doesn't just look at it from that negative perspective. He covers it from the positive application as well. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Now, how you can separate the two in a rational, you know, or an analytical Christian mind, I'm not sure. But some people say, well, you know, that's for you. I've, 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 got, I've just got this inner faith. I've got this, I feel so good about my relationship with God. Where are you on Sunday morning? Well, I don't think I have to be at church services. Oh, oh, some people will actually say, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Now, again, can you be truly spiritual and be pleasing to God without being religious, following the teachings 
living by the teachings, coming to, wor coming to worship with the church, worship God on a regular basis on the first day of the week? Can you truly be spiritual without being religious when God sent his son to establish the church to teach us and to practice the religion of Christianity? I've said before, there's a Greek word. I won't even spell it for you. I'll, I'll say it real slow. For people who they insist that they can be spiritual without being religious, without having to be a part of the church, without having to worship with God, with the church, be together, no matter what Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25 says to the contrary. They just, they, I, I can be just as close to God in a bass boat on the river as I can be in a church building sitting on a seat or in a pew. That Greek word is baloney. I said it real slow, so, you know, you can understand it. That is baloney. James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, again, by implication, he's saying, don't talk to me about faith that is not active, that is not obedient, that is not serving, that is not dedicated, that is not committed in an active, outgoing way. I'll show you my faith by how I live my faith. In verse 21, he goes on and he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the, on the altar? He believed in God with all of his heart. I think that's evident from the scripture text in the book of Genesis. But when God said, Go offer your son Isaac, Abraham got up and took Isaac and, and went. His faith was justified by his works or his obedience. Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? In other words, faith is not complete. It's not real faith without the active obedience, the action that puts our faith into motion. Verse 25, likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? And then James, the only time you see the phrase faith only or faith alone in the New Testament scriptures, the only time is in that second chapter of James, verse 24. And he says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Not by faith only. Now, where are all of those who only take those passages that simply speak of believing and they will not accept that inherent within true belief is obedience? How do they deal with verse 24 of James chapter, 20, uh, James chapter 2? We can only be saved by God's grace. We can't save ourselves. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We cannot save ourselves. God will save us when we come to him his way through Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith openly in him, and surrendering to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross for us will cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. Remembering what Ananias told Saul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, 
calling on the name of the Lord. But God requires faith on our part. He'll save us, but he requires true, active, obedient faith on our part. Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus said, that faith, once we become a Christian, has to remain active for the rest of our lives. Remain obedient, remain serving, remain dedicated, remain committed. Be faithful until death, he said. Revelation 2 and verse 10, and I will give you the crown of life. By implication, we can understand if we do not remain faithful, the power of faith is our faithfulness, our active faith. If we're not remaining faithful until death, we cannot expect the crown of life to be given to us by our Lord at the point of our physical death. Faith. Oh, how precious it is. How we need to respect it, how we need to nurture it. But it always must be and remain active and obedient to God's teachings. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is our faith put into action, our belief put into action through obedience and continued dedication. If you're here this morning and you need to act upon that faith, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins so you can be reborn spiritually, made new, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Then we encourage you to take that step. We want to help you. If you need to study some more, if you'll ask us, we'll help you with that. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, maybe your faith has waned and you need to come back and rededicate your life to Christ, please step forward and let us pray together. Or talk with us privately. If you need to come, put your faith into action and come right now as we stand together and sing.